1: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, which is now also available in audiobook at our website neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different than I usually do. Uh, John sent me a really interesting video of Mary Neal talking about her near-death experience on the TED stage, or she's talking about it on the TED stage. And she uh, has some really interesting insights that I think are worth sharing. So what I'm going to do is just play the recording of this uh, experience or this talk that she gives. This is a TEDx talk and if you go to the TEDx Talks YouTube page, you can find this. We'll also provide a link in the show notes, but I think this is worth listening to, and then we'll talk about it afterward.
0: Good evening, and thank you for being here. I'm Dr. Mary Neal, and I'm gonna to talk to you tonight about death, because how you understand death directly determines how you experience life. My own understanding of death changed in 1999 when I died while kayaking in South America. I was pinned under 8 to 10 feet of water at the base of a waterfall and I was without oxygen for 30 minutes before CPR was initiated. And when I regained consciousness, I was in a state of shock. Not because I just drowned, not because of my multiply broken legs, and not because I was on the side of a remote river with no access to medical care. No, I was in an absolute state of shock because I could not believe that I'd been sent back to my body from a place I will call heaven. It was peaceful underwater, and I was held and comforted by Christ. And no, I didn't just think or hope it was Jesus. I knew it was Christ just as I would know my husband of 30 years, if I'd seen him in the grocery store. And I was taken through a life review that had little to do with judgment and everything to do with understanding and compassion and grace. And I was shown the beauty that came out of every heartbreak, every challenge, and every disappointment of my life. And then I was released to the heavens. My spirit rose up and out of the river, and. I was immediately greeted by a group of people or spirits who had known me and loved me as long as I have existed. And even as they took me down this beautiful pathway woven together with fibers of God's love and exploding with color and flowers and the aromas of flowers, I could look back at the river and I watched as my purple bloated body was pulled to the shore and my friends started CPR. And I recognized my body. And I knew that I was dead. But despite having a magnificent life with a wonderful husband and these four young children who I loved more than life itself, I felt like I was home. And I really had absolutely no intention of returning. And then I was told it wasn't my time, that I had more work to do on Earth, and that I'd have to go back to my body. And when I objected, I was given a laundry list of work yet to be done none of which was desirable, and all of which would challenge me in one way or another. Especially challenging was news of the coming and unexpected death of my eldest son, who, as many of you know, was hit and killed by a car 10 years later. Now, of course, I did go back to my body, and I spent many of the subsequent days and weeks moving between the two worlds one that contained my past and my future, the God of the universe and all that is love, and one that contained my present, with the family I cherished and the life I enjoyed. Now, I knew I would never be the same again, but at the time I wondered if it was just you know, a figment of my imagination. Maybe it was a death experience I had always expected. But the problem is, I hadn't had any expectations. Like most of you, I'd never really thought much about my own death, And I certainly hadn't heard of near-death or after-death experiences in 1999. And if I had, I would have discounted them out of hand. Because although I'd been raised in the church, I readily traded my religious beliefs for intellectual ones when I went off to college and medical school. And by 1999, I was a well-trained scientist, doctor, surgeon. I was accomplished, self-confident, smart certainly didn't think I needed God. <laughs> I was probably some mix of humanist, rationalist, material scientist, maybe a cultural Christian, I don't really know. But what I did know is that my experiences underwater had certainly seemed real. And God not only seemed real, but was the only real that mattered. So I needed answers. I spent the many months of my hospitalization and rehab searching for scientific ones. And first I looked to my medical records and the people who'd been at the river, and then really fueled by a desire to discount everything I'd been told, I then read extensively about drowning, about the physiology of a dying brain, about anoxia, dreams, hallucinations, seizures, neurotransmitter dumping. But all of these conventional explanations fell short, and the scientific gaps were really unbridgeable and nothing could account for my unscathed survival or for my profound spiritual experience. Eventually I realized I'd had a near-death or after-death experience, and I discovered I wasn't alone in this. Almost 20 million people in this country alone have had these profoundly transformative experiences. And a continuation of the soul or consciousness after death is described in every culture every faith tradition, and every age group. Even very young children who have never been exposed to religion recount near-death experiences. And we all talk about the same things. We talk about this purity of divine love and interconnectedness with all living creatures. And regardless of what our prior beliefs were, God becomes the only truth. In fact, 75% of atheists encounter a being that they identify as either Jesus or God. And our understanding of death forever changes. Fear disappears, and we all look forward to going home again one day. Now, maybe you understand death as a resurrection, or a day of judgment, or a spin into another lifetime, or maybe just the dissolution into the energy of the universe. Or maybe (laughs) you think it's just a hole in the ground waiting to be filled. But what you think about death is important. And I'm here tonight to tell you that death is nothing more than the doorway to home. And it is the very existence of this home that brings context, purpose, and meaning to our time here on earth. Now, to help you understand this idea, I'm going to tell you a story about my childhood home. (laughs) Now, when I grew up, I loved my home. I loved everything about it. I loved my family, my friends, my neighborhood, my little dog, the trees, the stream behind the house. I loved fresh-cut grass. When I was home, I felt comfortable and content. I felt safe and secure and loved. And I really never wanted to leave. But then one day, (laughs) I went off to summer camp. Now, I knew I'd be challenged. I was a little nervous. I'd never been away from home, didn't know what to expect. I assumed that I would learn and grow and maybe become a better me. (laughs) And I did. It was great. I learned to swim and sail and water ski. I learned about kindness and humility. I made friends, we made bonfires, it was great. But of course it wasn't all good. The beds were hard and I really didn't like the food. My sandals were stolen one day and I was pretty angry but I actually felt compassion for the little girl when I learned of her plight and I ended up giving her most of my clothes. And I hated, hated, hated the time I spent in the nurse's cabin after being stung by a bee. But I was able to find humor in all of this because I knew that my time at camp was temporary, and before long I'd be going back to my comfortable and familiar home. Sure enough, the camp bus came, took me home, and my friends were sad and they cried a little bit. But really, I was looking forward to going home and sleeping in my own bed, and I knew my family would be waiting for me, and they'd be overjoyed by my return. Now the point I'm making with this story is that it was the existence and reality of my childhood home and the knowledge that I'd be going back there again that brought a context to my time at camp that allowed me to experience it as a great adventure. And since 1999, that's exactly how I experienced my life here on earth. The reality and existence of our true and permanent spiritual home, the one I discovered on the other side of death, and the knowledge that I, and you, will be going back there one day, brings a context to my time on Earth that allows me to experience it as a great adventure with great meaning and purpose, and it changes the way I experience both good times and bad. Now, another way of understanding this concept is with this next slide. Many of you will immediately see the white cup, and some of you will see the blue faces. And which you see is a matter of focus and perspective. If you focus entirely on the cup, you'll miss the blue faces that give it context. And if you focus entirely on the faces, you'll miss the beauty and the purpose of the cup. Now imagine for a minute that this white cup represents our lifetime here on earth. And the blue faces represent the people and the love and the reality of our home. Without the background of our home and the faces within it, this white cup of life becomes nothing but potential. Now, the relationship between my childhood home and camp or the faces and the cup is the same relationship that exists between our true spiritual home and our time on earth. Now, many of you may not want to believe this spiritual home exists, And you may not want to talk about or even think about your own death, but that does not change the truth and the reality of this relationship. And I encourage you to wake up. Wake up to the potential of your life. And I'm not talking about choosing to live differently or more intentionally. I'm talking about experiencing the profound transformation of your daily life, of who you really are, how you live and why you live that occurs only when you live in the context of our true spiritual home. Metaphysical questions become important. Problems become opportunities. Love becomes the only thing that really matters. And the door to experiencing God's presence in your daily life begins to open. And most profoundly, joy. Joy that transcends circumstances will become a state of being. I can honestly tell you that even in my deepest, darkest days of sorrow and grief after the loss of my son, I still experienced great joy because that is the power of this transformation. And that is why I encourage you now, I challenge you tonight, to put aside your excuses, put aside your complacency, get rid of your intellectual barriers and sit with your thoughts. Actually question your current beliefs. Go home and do some research, collect your own data, and try to prove what I'm saying wrong. Because I know you can't. And I know that even without your coming close to death, if you honestly undertake a process of spiritual exploration and discovery, your daily life will change for the better in ways that you have no ability to even imagine. Thank you for listening.
1: Okay, wow. Isn't that incredible? Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you've probably heard us share uh, Mary Neal's experience. There are uh, there are some more details and so forth that she gives in other accounts of her near-death experience. But a couple of things stand out to me. First off, kudos to Mary for being willing to share this in a in a setting that is often considered so intellectual slash professional that while you hear some pretty wild ideas on the TED stage, it's very rare that you hear something so deeply spiritual. And when she talks, for example, about meeting Jesus and and how, you know, how did she know it was Jesus? She says, I knew it was Jesus in the same way that I would know my husband of 30 years if I saw him. I just knew him. That is extremely bold, uh, what she is saying. And yet it is absolutely true to what we hear about in near death experiences. Another thing that occurred to me while listening to this talk was something that I've thought a little bit about before but uh it kind of struck me even more so, you know, there's a lot of people who simply don't believe in this stuff or they don't accept it. They consider it's, you know, the effects of a dying brain or different things like that. Whereas if you read all the accounts that we've shared on this podcast or all that are out there on ions.org or org, and, you know, all across YouTube and everywhere else, you start to have to question how could people be coming up with the same kinds of stories out of nowhere? There's something going on here, okay? And we've talked about that a lot. But the thing that struck me was that despite the fact that there are relatively few people who have these experiences, that is maybe one in ten in their lifetime of people that have some kind of experience, and then those that do, it is perhaps standing over their body, maybe floating in a uh, a sea of love, though not seeing or hearing anything, you know, they're very... Uh, Base level uh, near death experiences that most people have, and maybe one in ten of those have some experience that's a little bit deeper, seeing uh, loved ones and, and going on to a landscape or, or city or whatever, or meeting Jesus and so forth. While that does make it rare, you know, there's obviously still enough people that we can't just write it off enough people that are having these experiences. We've made that point over and over again. The thing that struck me in this is that this is an experience all of us will have. You will have this experience. How do I know that? Because you're going to die someday. If you can find a way around that, let me know. Because I know a lot of people that would love to learn to live forever, I am not one of them. I do not want to live forever in this mortal state, but my in all likeliness, we will all die, okay, and all of us will experience death. We will all go to the other side, we will all experience something on the other side of death, and because we are all going to experience that. It is so wise of us to consider, what are we going to do to prepare for that? What are we going to do with this life to make the next life the most enjoyable possible? Now, we know that there's going to be incredible love, incredible you know, acceptance and joy and light and so forth. But that begs the question, why are we even here then? If everything is so wonderful on the other side, why would we come to this world of suffering and frustration where the best things that some of the best things you can do is build stamina for stress and pain and suffering and grief and, you know, learn to exercise on a daily basis because although it's painful and And a form of suffering, it will help our bodies to live longer and happier and more comfortably. It's like, why do we have to suffer in order to have joy? Why do we have to kill something in order to eat, be it an animal, a plant, whatever? Something's got to die for us to live. This is just a painful, heart-wrenching world that we're living in. And assuming all these things that we're saying are true, and I truly believe that they are, about us having existed for eternity and and that we're beings of love, beings of perfection and so forth, uh, from a divine source. Assuming that's the case, why would we come to this world of suffering and pain? And honestly, it gives me pause. Why would we? And of course, we could stop and say, it's, it's all just messed up. It's all broken. It's all, you know, what? What in the world were we thinking? But if we stop there, we miss out on the very purpose of life. I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday in in my own meditation and thinking about if all of my needs were met, every financial need every physical need food water shelter was just given in such beautiful perfect abundance and health in perfect in perfection and it's all supplied in such an effortless perfect way everything all my needs all my you know everything was that I could ever need was met and I was immortal couldn't couldn't ever die. Even all my medical, I mean, yeah, my medical needs, my mental needs, my emotional needs, my intellectual needs, my psychological needs, all my needs were just met in perfection. Then what would I want? What would you want if you had everything you could ever want in perfection? Now, there are things that go beyond your needs, right? There's a desire for knowledge. Well, let's just say all knowledge, to some level at least, knowledge itself was available to you. Any question you ask would be given to you. All your needs are met. All knowledge is available. What would you want? What would you want out of existence? Now, you are loved perfectly, You feel love. You're probably pretty good at expending love or expelling love out to others. What would you want? What could you want? And I sat thinking about that for quite some time. And I realized one of the things I would want would be experience. Now, of course, having all my needs and infinite potential always before me, just the experience of visiting a place or seeing things would not be enough. Maybe for a while that could be satisfying, but it wouldn't be enough. You would see the beings of others. You would see their learning and growing, assuming that was even a thing worth pursuing. You would see it, but you wouldn't be able to truly, truly experience it without going and doing it yourself. So there's that side, there's experience. Could a perfect being with all, everything at their disposal really understand what it means to experience suffering and then true relief? Could they experience the feeling of rejection and then really experience love the experience of being hated and then being truly and lovingly accepted i'm not sure it would be something that we in our suffering state i don't i'm not sure we can fully understand it but among other things i think there's lots of reasons that we came here among them the opportunity to experience and, and attain a physical mortal body. I think that is so valuable. We think of it as something to be shrugged off when we leave, but this really is something incredibly valuable. And I think part of the reason for that is because we have lived our entire existence without one. Without this level of physicality. With this level of Being able to experience the truly dynamic nature of a physical body. Now, because we have no memory, we have nothing to compare it to. We only have these little bits of information that we gain from near-death experiences about what the other side is like. And we've got a lot of these experiences, so it's not like the information is lacking. It's just that we can't just go and experience it. You can't set out to have near-death experience researchers uh, line them all up and, and say, okay, we're going to give them all near-death experience, uh, experiences and then they're going to come back and they're going to record their, their thoughts on it. That's not how it works. Now, maybe there will come a time where that will be possible, but as it is, I can't think of an ethical or safe way to do that. And I would not encourage anybody to try in any way other than perhaps meditation and prayer. But the point that I'm trying to make here is any time we are trying to question, is this life really worth continuing? Is this life really worth the pain and the suffering and the nothing sometimes that we feel? Is it worth that? And I would give you, with every bit that I can convey, yes, it is absolutely worth it. Every second of suffering, every second of pain. Not that we should seek it, we should not. But as it comes, and every feeling of depression, every feeling of nothingness, of pain, of desiring to progress and grow, and it not coming, and it not happening. Every sense of purposelessness, every sense of being rejected, of being treated with disdain and pain and cruelty, every second of that is worth it. And why? Because think of what an eternal being with eternal potential and yet cocooned in this, in this world of love and, and infinite wisdom and, and all of this. think Take that being and now be able to temporarily strip them of all of that to give them an experience of pure suffering, of true pain, of true difficulty... Let them work through that, not just taste it and then get out, but actually live through that and come out on the other side of that pain. Be that because death overtook them, or be that because they experienced life through that suffering and depression and whatever. And the development of compassion that they experienced in this world where there is no memory of anything that they, are, that they were once capable of, that they once had at their disposal. Give them a full measure of that to work through, to walk through, to get to the other side of, to experience compassion for others who are experiencing that, to live this life of really pure mortal experience and then release them from the experience, put them back in that cocoon and see what they have to offer. You guys, this life isn't just because we we were curious, because it's part of the game. And And I've heard it compared that way, and I think it's a good analogy for some aspects of it. But the fact is, we as eternal beings want to grow. We desperately desire to become more to expand beyond what we are capable of. We desperately want that. Even in this life, that that desperate need to progress is dulled down so much simply because we are so surrounded by suffering, by, by you know, just trying to get out of bed in the morning. And ugh, do you feel a desire to progress right now? No, I just want to go back to sleep. And when you're suffering and in agony over an injury or a long-term chronic situation. You're suffering through that. Do you think about, oh, I just want to progress right now. You think, no, you don't. You think, I just want to stop suffering. I just want to stop suffering and because of that, because we are able to experience on the deepest, truest level of what experience has to offer, when we go back and we can look back on this mortal experience with all the context of every level of ripple that came out from our lives, every ounce of, of experience that came from anybody's experience that came from our experience, being able to feed upon that, we will have progressed to a degree that is way beyond what just knowledge of all things can offer. We'll be able to go way beyond what just not suffering has to offer. We'll be able to go way beyond just feeling and giving love has to offer. I submit that it's only part of our reason for being here. But isn't that significant? Isn't that one of the beauties of our being here? So whatever your situation, whatever your suffering, whatever it is that you're going through, know that it has purpose and that it will edify and it will provide for the infinities to come. Just think about getting back to the other side. When all of this is done, you you did your best. You genuinely did your best and got through to the other side of suffering. Went on to live a life that continued in some level of suffering and then died in a suffering way. And then being able to go to the other side and spirits that have not yet come who are maybe a little anxious, they, they hear it's pretty tough and being able to say, you guys, it hurts. It is painful beyond my description. But let me tell you, it is worth it. The opportunity to gain and grow and experience love on a level that is beyond just what we've always experienced. Being able to to expand out from where we were. I've heard some near-death experiencers say that on the other side they were they'd be talking to other spirits they'd be the pre-mortal experience with their excited naivety about going to the other side uh, the other side which is life and then those who have experienced life and when the uh when the newbies who haven't gone yet to earth step out of the room so to speak and it's just the the post-mortal spirits together The wisdom that they share and the things they have to talk about. It's like veterans getting together. It's like those who have been in the Peace Corps and have seen the kinds of suffering that's going on in the world and coming back together and sharing their experiences. To try to share that in the presence of those who have never been to see that kind of thing. I mean, they can try and they will share, but there won't be that depth that is shared with those who have been there and done that. Among other things, that is something powerful that makes this whole life worth it. And it is ridiculously short. Ridiculously short. We will see that when we get to the other side. We were gone for the blink of an eye. Barely even that. Just kind of a splash wake-up call. It's like waking up in the morning from a dream that was a lifetime, if you've ever had one of those. You wake up and you're like, I was just asleep. That's all that was. I was just asleep, and now I'm awake. All of that was nothing, and yet it felt like everything at the time. That's what returning to the other side is like, waking up from this dream that wasn't nearly as long as we thought it was, And yet what we learn from it, what we experience by this life, makes it all worth it. You guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, if you would like to provide financial support to the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, Or you can become an ongoing monthly contributor by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast. You can email me, chaz at ndepodcast.org, or john at john at ndepodcast.org. And once again, thank you all of you for listening.